All right. Let there be light. How about that? Take your Bibles out this morning. Let's open them together to the, uh, the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And um, I was, uh, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I had a blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, I did uh, uh, have the opportunity to visit mom. Mom is 97 now. And uh, uh, we just had a great time together. And I was thinking, you know, about... Um, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about, you know, discipline. This is something that parents do. Every parent, uh, I think every parent, maybe not every parent these days, but most parents understand uh, that you have to discipline uh, your children. I know that, um, that my parents certainly believed in this, and I, uh, I uh, needed uh, quite a bit of discipline as I was uh, growing up, although I was a pretty good boy. Uh, my brother, he was the he was the evil child, but um, I was I was a good I was the good one. Uh, Mom, uh, when she would uh, spank us, uh, she typically used a, she had a little like a little wooden ruler or it was a little spoon, a little wooden spoon or a little wood piece of wood. Uh, but because she, uh, Mom had a tender heart, she had a hard time. Uh, I, I don't ever remember uh, having any. Uh, uh, great discomfort from the spankings that my mother gave me because she just really wasn't, she, her heart wasn't really in it. Now, dad was something different, and I know that many of you uh, 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 remember uh, my dad, Brother Seeley, who uh, uh, served here in the church uh, years before I came, and many of you know him as sweet Brother Seeley, and I uh, knew him as something totally different. Um, Dad uh, had a way to, uh, to get your attention when your attention needed to be got. And uh, Dad used the belt uh, in his discipline. And, you know, I want to, uh, I, I'll say that I really never received a spanking from Dad, but I received many whippings. I mean, back in the day, that's what it was called, right? You got a whipping. I will say that my father did not abuse me. Uh, and I, at the time, I didn't really like it, but, um, uh, but I... Uh, I now, looking back, I'm very grateful to parents who, uh, who were willing uh, to discipline me. I'm going to talk about God's discipline today, and I want you to know, or I want to say right off the bat, um, uh, that I know that it is possible to abuse a child, that, some, uh, that sometimes uh, discipline can turn into abuse. And there's no excuse for that, there's no excuse for uh, damaging and, har- and harming a child in that way. But true discipline uh, is not abuse. In fact, if you don't discipline your children, in my personal opinion, and I think that maybe the Bible backs me up, if, you, if, if children are not disciplined, that's abuse. Because you're teaching them something by, by not, you know, the, the Bible says, and the Bible is not talking about abuse here, but it's talking about discipline in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. And so, it is the responsibility of a parent to separate the foolishness from the heart of a child and to help that child to understand how and what it means to be a human being. And it might very well be that that a whole lot of kids today are being abused because they're not being disciplined. In fact, I would, 
you know, suggest that if you were to go out with me to the prison sometime, you're going to meet a whole lot of boys out there that, uh, that, uh, were not, uh, that were not disciplined. They didn't learn this as they were growing up, that they had some other responsibility to someone else other than themselves. And so as parents, my parents, I'm guessing uh, many of yours as well, uh, as parents, we discipline uh, our children try to anyway. Uh, I don't know about you parents, but I have a tendency to carry around some guilt thinking that I didn't do as good a job as I should have. And, and the reason is our discipline is imperfect. We don't know all things and we can't do all things. And I really uh, would like to assuage some of that guilt. I wish I could assuage mine. I have a hard time with it. But, uh, uh, but we're not perfect. But watch this. The Bible teaches that God is a father. He's not just a father, he's our father, he's your father. And as a father, a good father, he disciplines his children, and his discipline is perfect. Now let's just get that right off the bat, and let me just, let's just hold on to that for a second. The discipline of our heavenly father, the discipline of your heavenly father is perfect. That is, it is always perfect done in love because God is love and everything that comes from God comes from his love and it is done for a purpose and reason that's what I want to talk to you about today Uh, here in this passage of scripture that's the impact here of Hebrews in this 12th chapter remember we've been talking about keeping your eyes on the prize that's what the entire book is about the prize being Jesus and so the writer of Hebrews has been trying to, trying to get us to focus our attention on Jesus, on Jesus, on Jesus. And this comes about by faith. And so he's gone through uh, this list of, of these great men and women of the Bible who really were just ordinary people, but they lived by faith. How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to relate to God? How am I supposed to get through this world? By faith. Okay? So I'm going to have to live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as a heavenly father, I want to please him. And uh, without faith, I'm unable to live. And so so all of this is about faith. And he has just said here in the first part of chapter 12, so since we're surrounded by this great crowd of witnesses, let us run this race that he's put before us. All right? So so the encouragement is to keep on going. And and he's going to talk about discipline here. And maybe the concern is, is that as a child, we're going to get discouraged. When I'm disciplined, I don't like it. And when I'm disciplined, I get mad. And there were times when I hated my father for, what he, uh, for the spankings that he gave me. And I wished him dead. I wished him gone. I wished something, you know, because I didn't like the spankings that I got and that I deserved. What child uh, maybe has not thought those same things? And so maybe we feel this way about God. And so he, and so he says to us, let's talk about this for a minute, and, and we're going to see exactly what God uh, uh, does in his discipline. Watch this. Beginning in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. And again, the encouragement is don't stop, don't grow weary, continue on. You've got this race to run. You might get discouraged, don't quit. So consider Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus and what he endured 
uh, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Verse 4, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And now he's going to quote Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes. And that word punishes there is the word scourges. He scourges every son he receives. Or instead of scourges, you might say he whips. He gets the belt out on every son he receives. Verse 7. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, verse 9, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they, that is our human fathers and mothers, they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he, that is our heavenly Father, does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, <clears throat> but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, he's talking about the discipline of the Father, discipline of God, our Heavenly Father. And there's two things, I think, in order to receive this or to appreciate it or to understand it, two things that uh, are two principles that you really need to get and you need to receive. Okay, here's the first principle. And it's found in verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. That is a reality. That is a truth. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, a couple of things here. Meaning that his discipline is born in love or comes out of love, but it is, in fact, discipline. Now, watch. God is a father. He is a good father. He is a good, good father. A good father must discipline his child or must discipline his children. If, he, if a father does not discipline his child, he's not a good father. If the, if the father just says, okay, do whatever you want to do, live any way you want to live, that's not a good father. That's a father that's basically sending his son to prison, <laughs> right? A good father is going to discipline his child. And discipline is not hatred. It is born out of love. And watch this. It, it demonstrates sonship 
or childship. And, and by the way, this sonship, and this is not excluding the ladies, by the way. He's talking about an heir here. You become an heir of the father, and it is demonstrated in this way here by the discipline of God. When he's talking about he disciplines his sons, he's talking about he's disciplined those that are his heirs, those who belong to him. Now, watch this. As a father or as a parent, you don't discipline somebody else's kid. You might want to. I mean, there are some kids that I'd like to, you know, turn over my knee and whomp some, you know, but I don't because they're not mine. It's not my responsibility. That's the responsibility of their own parents, or their own father, or their own mother. But I discipline my own children. Why? Because that's my responsibility because I love them and I want them. To be better. So I'm working something out in their life. It's the same way with God. He says here that if God, or if you do not experience the discipline of God, then you are an illegitimate children. You might say, well, hold on just a minute. Does God have to discipline all of us? Well, is there anybody in here that is perfect? Is there anybody here that doesn't need some correction? Anybody here exactly like Jesus? Now, maybe that's where we're headed. Maybe that's what we desire. Maybe that's what we want. But let me just go ahead and answer that question for you. No, you are not perfect. You are not completely straight up and righteous. And if you're not, that must mean that your heavenly father has still got some work to do in your life. And so what he does is, is he disciplines those he loves. Now, if you can't get that principle, then the rest of this is not going to make any sense at all. So hold on to that for a second. Number one, and this is just a basic principle. We're going to get to the main body here in just a second. But number one, the, the first principle is he, God the Father, disciplines those he loves. Second thing is this. The method of God's discipline is painful suffering. It is painful suffering. I want you to look at what it says down in verse 7. It says, endure suffering as discipline. Now, I want you to know that the writer here does not qualify suffering here he doesn't he's not equivocating in any way but he doesn't qualify it either he doesn't say endure some suffering as discipline or endure you know bad suffering when somebody else does something to you or or endure the kind of suffering that God brings into your life as discipline he doesn't qualify it in that way he just says endure suffering and evidently or the implication is all suffering that is God uses all suffering in our lives as discipline. Now, it doesn't say all here, but I think the implication is. Everything, negative. And remember, and, and he's going to say, well, uh, down in verse 11, no discipline seems enjoyable. Every child knows this. Nobody likes to get a spanking. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to feel bad. Nobody likes bad things coming into your, to your life. But according to the word of God here, and again, we're going to have to get this if we're going to appreciate what the word is going to teach us about this today, all right? We need to understand that suffering is, a, is the mechanism or the belt, if you will, of God to discipline his children. And if you're a child of God, you're going to be disciplined by God. If you're not disciplined by God, then you're not his child. How is he going to discipline you? He is going to bring suffering. He's going to lay the belt to you in somehow in some way, and that involves suffering. That involves suffering. 
And you might say, well, I don't deserve that. Who does? Except, you know, we say, well, wait a minute. I, I don't like that. Who does like it? And you might say, well, I don't deserve it. Well, um, <laughs> you know, I would tell my dad that. In fact, my dad would say, uh, and he was, you know, he was one of those, I hated this when he said this, and I, I would think, yeah, he, he would say, some of you fathers would do this. You know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> I never told my kids that because I knew it was a lie. This ain't going to hurt me. Where is it going? It's going to hurt you, and I want it to, right? I mean, and I would say, I would think, I wouldn't say it because Dad didn't really receive these things. Well, I would think, well, Dad, don't hurt me so much next time, okay? I mean, or, or don't hurt yourself so much next time. If, if it hurts you worse than me, man, it must be really killing you, you know? And, and maybe it was. I don't know, but it, I never personally experienced that when I was, uh, uh, was disciplining my children. I, I wonder what it does to the heart of God when he disciplines us. But, you know, what I would say is that God knows what we need. In fact, that's what he says here. He says the father knows what the child needs. The child doesn't like it. The child says, I don't need this. But the father knows what the child needs. And the father is the one who determines what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. And all I'm telling you here is that he says that endure suffering as God's discipline. That is, the belt that God uses to discipline his children is our suffering. Now, beloved, if you can't receive that or don't believe it or don't like it, then you're not going to understand what the Bible is trying to teach us here. And there are some beautiful, beautiful truths here. If you can receive this, that God is a loving father, he disciplines those he loves, and you're a child of God, meaning he's going to discipline you. And the belt that he uses is suffering. If you can receive that and believe it, and I'm not saying it's easy to believe. I'm just saying it because we don't like it, but it's true. This is, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you can receive it, then you're going to be blessed by what he teaches us here. All right? If you can't receive that, then you're not going to like this, and you're going to catch me afterwards, and you're going to say, well, Brother Greg, I don't believe that, and I don't like that, whatever. Okay, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay, right? So here we go. There's three things I want to give you under the heading, your father's discipline. Your father. And I, I was just, I originally entitled this, the father's discipline, but I wanted to personalize it. Your father's discipline here we go. Three things. Number one, first thing I want you to see is discipline's source. The source of this discipline. All right? So if, and, and this is what I mean by that. If suffering is the means by which God disciplines us, if, suffer, if our own suffering is the belt that he uses, where does this suffering come from? Well, sometimes it comes from other people. Look back up in verse 3. He says, consider him, and he's talking about Jesus here, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary. Now, he's saying, notice, look, and we've got our eyes on Jesus, right? So we're watching Jesus where he is the perfecter. He's the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And so we're keeping our eyes on him whereas we're running this race. He says, now, now look at Jesus. So you're watching Jesus. Consider him. What happened to Jesus? Well, sinful men took him. They nailed him to a cross, stuck a spear up in his side. They killed him, right? And in fact, Jesus said, you know, if they did this to me, don't think that they're not going to do this to you. And, and make no mistake that as you go through life, there are people in this life that are going to come against you simply because you're a child of God. 
There's all kinds of persecution and strife going on in this world. Some of it is happening here in our own country. Not that much, but some. It might be an evil person that has designs against you, or maybe it's a boss, or maybe it's somebody else. I mean, we live in a cold, cruel world, and people do things, they say things, they come against us in some ways, and they bring some sort of suffering. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental anguish. Suffering can come in a number of different forms in our life. Other people bring these things into our life. What is the source of our suffering? Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes we suffer because people set out to do us harm. Sometimes we suffer because people don't like us. And sometimes this suffering can be extreme. In fact, when he says in verse 3, consider what has happened to Jesus so that you won't worry. Evidently, this type of suffering is happening to, uh, to other people just like Jesus. So they're being persecuted. And then in verse 4, he says, And in struggling against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. That is, you haven't been killed yet. Now, the implication is, is you might be, and maybe some have. Maybe some have been beaten and they've shed their blood. Maybe some have even been crucified for the name of Jesus. Whatever it is, they have suffered, and this suffering came at the hands of other people. Okay, so sometimes that's how it comes into our life. Sometimes it might come into our life through the activity of the adversary that we have in the spiritual realm and call him the devil, Satan, you know, however you want to think of him. We know we have this adversary, and he wars against us. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, don't forget, put on the full armor of God so that when those fiery darts come against you, and so we have this, this spiritual adversary that is going to attack and he's going to move against us, we have a defense against him. But sometimes the devil inflicts us with suffering. Now, I want to pause right here, and I just want to remind you that the devil is not all powerful. And I know a lot of times something bad happens to us and we say, well, the devil did this to me, right? So if I got this disease or I lost my job or I got in a wreck or whatever it was, well, Satan is just attacking me and all these bad things are happening to me. Well, that may be the case. I'm I'm not necessarily willing to give the devil any more credit than he's due. And the scripture says that he's a defeated foe, that he has no power and no authority except that which is given to him. Now, we see, for example, like in the book of Job, where God uh, allows him to have uh, some measure of power over uh, an individual or maybe over a people, but it is granted to him by God. And so I want you to understand this. If the suffering comes into our life through the activity of another person, or it comes into our life through the activity of the devil himself, Who is the one that still sits over that or rules and reigns over it? It is God himself. I want you to see that God does not try to get himself off the hook here. God doesn't say, well, blame those people out there. He doesn't say, well, you know, the devil, he's got this power and, you know, you just can't, you know, you just can't do anything against him. That's not what happens here. The Bible doesn't teach 
that God is just a weak spectator watching other people abuse his children or watching the devil attack them and do all kinds of bad things to them. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over all of this. So who or what is the source of the belt of suffering that comes against us? Well, look down at verse 5. He says, my son, and he's quoting again Psalm 3 here, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. Notice who is the one who is doing the discipline here. It's the Lord. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. It says, don't lose heart when you are reproved by him. And that word reproved means just when he comes and he's, he speaks against you or he speaks a word, a harsh word, in rebuke. Now, where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from the Lord himself. He says, he, he, he doesn't say, well, you know, you have to watch out for those people out there. Or you have to, you know, watch out for the devil. I mean, you know, and what he's going to do. No, God is sovereign, and he's not trying to get God off the hook. And all I'm saying to you is, and I, again, I know that this might not be something we like or we really appreciate, but when the belt of suffering is laid against our backside, it is God himself who is doing it. He's the one that is laying the belt. He's responsible for it. Now, let me give you an illustration to explain how this works. On April the 14th of this year, I was fishing. I was on a boat, and uh, we were offshore doing some fishing, and I had a freak accident. I slipped and fell. Wasn't anybody's fault. I don't even think I was at fault, although I might not have been wearing the right shoes. Uh, but anyway, I, I slipped and fell. And my ankle was jammed up. My leg was jammed up against uh, like one of the bulkheads there. And uh, my ankle snapped. I completely dislocated my ankle. It was laying off on the side, pointing in the wrong direction. And I broke one of the bones in my leg. Okay. So they got me in, called the Life Flight helicopter, flew me to Herman Memorial Hospital, or Memorial Herman Hospital in, uh, in the medical center. And, uh, and I will just go ahead and tell you that uh, if you ever have any injury like that, that's a good place to go. Man, that is, uh, Memorial Herman has the number one trauma ER, I think, in the world. I, I, and I looked this up after the fact. I didn't know this ahead of time because I wasn't planning on going to the hospital that day. But I ended up going. And, uh, and they wheeled me in there. And uh, uh, they put me in. The, they have a, a special room just for orthopedic orthopedic injuries like mine and this doctor came in and he said well I'm the ankle orthopedic dude and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this thing back in place I mean again my ankles laying off on the side pointing in the wrong direction and I'm like okay so they put me out and he repaired he put my ankle back in place and then wrapped it up he stabilized it he put it back in place and he stabilized it I still had a broken bone I still had some other issues going on there but but he he made it feel better honestly put it back in place I was out when he did this put it back in place wrapped it up and everything he's the emergency room doctor and you know you know, the reality is a lot of people view God in this way. He's like an emergency room doctor. He's just kind of there when we get in trouble or something bad happens to us so that he can put it back in place, right? Is that the way God operates? He's just there as a doctor, you know, and, and, and when we come into the emergency room and we've had a problem or we've got something going on, he fixes it for us, right? Is that the way God works? 
Ten days after that day, on the 25th of April, I went back to Memorial Hermann. And this time I was on the third floor or something. They took me to the operating room. And that, of course, is the last thing I remember. I scooted off the gurney onto the operating table. We got all these bright lights up there. And uh, the doctor came in, and I was trying to remember his name, and I can't remember his name. I'm going I'm to go back and find his name. But anyway, uh, he came in, and he said, I'm going to fix your ankle. He hurt me. They put me out, so I don't remember all this, but he took a knife, and he put an incision on this side, an incision on that side. He cut me open. And then he drilled in there, did something, and he put two pins in there. And then he drilled some holes on this side and put a plate in there and some screws in there. And then he took a needle and thread, man, and he jammed it into my flesh. And he sewed up. That it, I mean, he hurt me. And I thank God that he did. Because I would not be walking today if that orthopedic surgeon had not taken his scalpel and cut into my flesh and drilled into my bone. Seriously. Now, beloved, how you view God is going to make all the difference in how you view the things in, that come into your life. Maybe he's just an emergency room surgeon. He's just kind of there, and whenever you get in trouble or something bad happens to you, you go run into him, and he fixes it, right? He just kind of puts things back in place. Or maybe he's an orthopedic surgeon who actually takes the scalpel because he knows what he's doing. He knows what needs to be done. And maybe you don't like it because it hurts, and you don't understand, and you can't figure it out. I don't know. Why can't I just go on this way? Okay, I'll limp a little bit maybe, or I'll use my crutches or whatever. No. He loves you enough to take the scalpel and the drill or whatever it takes to work in your life to fix what needs to be fixed so that you can find true healing. This is the way God works in our life. And that's all I'm saying, that he is not just the passive observer who stands by and watches what's going on. He actively works in your life for a reason. And that's the second thing that I want to talk to you about. God is the source of the suffering. And and I, all suffering? Well, I don't know, except that's what it says. And I know that maybe this bothers some of us. We don't like it. We don't want to think about God in that way. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So why would God do this? Why would God bring suffering or pain or tragedy or hurt into our life? Here's the second thing. God's purposes. God's purposes. And let me just again say that the suffering, the hurts, the calamities, the pain, whatever that God brings into your life is not for punishment. I mean, I want, let's, let's just hear this again. Because I've got to ask this question, you know, this morning. Hey, I've got, uh, I've got a problem with my foot. Is God punishing me for something? No. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1. 
The sin in your life, everything you've ever done, past, present, future, has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. You're completely, totally, 100%. God does not bring suffering, calamity, hurt, pain, whatever into our life to punish us for sin. All of our punishment is on Jesus. He took it all. There's nothing left to be done. So why does he do it? He does it to correct us because we are all sinners still and we all need the correction. We deserve the punishment. Jesus went ahead and took it. God doesn't punish us. He disciplines us. Keep that in mind. And his discipline is good and right and pure. He is a father. He is a good father. And he loves us. And what he does or what he brings into our life is for our good. Look back down in verse 10. In verses 10 and 11, he says, For they, speaking about parents, disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. Now, a parent, not knowing everything, but, but knowing a whole lot more than this small child knows, is doing this or is disciplining a child for his good. And he says, if a parent does that, uh, last part of verse 10, he does it for our benefit. That is, he has a purpose and plan. He is doing it for our good, our benefit for what? So that we can share his holiness. So one of the things that God is doing is he is making holy uh, children. He's burning off all the draws. You can think about, uh, you know, the silversmith who puts the silver into the fire. Is it pleasant for the silver to go into the fire? I would think not. But it burns off all the stuff that doesn't need to be there so it can purify it. So God is purifying his people to make them holy. Now look down at verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time. Duh, yes. But painful. Later on, however, it yields some things. What? Peaceful fruit of righteousness or peace, righteousness. I mean, these are the things that God is producing in our life and uh, to those who have been trained by it. In other words, that God is a good father who will bring these things into our life to teach us, to train us, to produce good within us. I mentioned that he quoted Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and I just wanted you to see this verse. I want to put it up here. Uh, Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, said this, Don't despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. Now, he's talking there about how we approach the things that a father brings into our life. Now, remember, God is a good father. Verse 12, for the Lord's discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son or the heir in whom he delights. In other words, beloved, there is a purpose and plan in what God is doing and what he's bringing into our lives. Now, a child may not understand what the father's doing. A child may not like what the father's doing. A child may rebel against the belt that the father brings. But you know what? You know what I discovered? I could trust my father. And you can trust your heavenly father to do in your life what he needs to do to make you into the person he wants you to be. Let me give you an illustration of this from Africa. And by the way, I meant to mention it in our prayer, but uh, we have six. We prayed over them uh, last week. Uh, the six going to Lesotho. They left yesterday, and uh, just before our service this morning, they did land in uh, Johannesburg, and they are in they are in South Africa right now. I want to encourage you to continue to pray uh, for uh, those six. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, this last time I was there, I went on a uh, African safari. And it really wasn't anything that I envisioned because it was more like the bush area. And they put us on, uh, in these kind of Jeep things and they drove us out through the bush. And we saw all kinds of animals. You know, I mean, there were elephants. I saw some rhinoceros, by the way, black rhino, white rhino. I saw some warthogs, gazelle, zebras, all kinds of things. And I saw some giraffes. And to me, a giraffe is one of the most magnificent animals. I mean, you know, how in the world, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you don't believe in God and you believe everything evolved, I wonder, I wonder how a giraffe, you know, just kind of evolved that way. Isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, that God has created so much diversity in this world? It's incredible. I mean, to see a giraffe and just that thing walking, right? But anyway, um, uh, we, we saw a number of giraffes. And it's just fascinating. Uh, and our guide uh, told this story. He said, you know, um, uh, he said, sometimes you'll see at, at the right time of the year, you'll see a large giraffe and a small giraffe that is uh, there. And you'll see that large giraffe stick its foot out and kick that, the little giraffe, and that little giraffe will fall. And if it doesn't get right up, that larger giraffe will kick it again, and then it'll jump up, and then it'll kick, it, kick its feet out from under it again, the, gira- the little giraffe will fall. And it looks very cruel. I mean, this happens over and over and over again. And the guy says, you know what's happening there? He said, the big giraffe is the mother. And the little giraffe is the newborn calf giraffe. Okay? And the mama giraffe knows that if the baby giraffe is going to survive, when it's down, if a predator comes, and there are lions around there as well. We, we heard one. We didn't get to see one. Uh, but if a lion were to come up, and that baby giraffe is going to need to jump up quickly and run. So it needs to learn to get to its feet very quickly. And what that mother is doing when she's kicking the, the feet out from under that baby and then kicking him to make him get up is not cruel. It's actually a great blessing. The mama is saving the baby's life by teaching it how to live. Beloved, this is what God does. When he kicks your feet out from under you, and you're thinking, God, why would you do that? I don't like this. I don't want this. I want something else. Why? And God says, because I know what's coming. i got something better for you, and I'm, I'm creating something within you. Now, boom, get up. <laughs> and then here we go, boom. And he kicks our feet out. I, I don't know. I don't know how all this works. I just know that God is a loving Father. And, and He is not only the one that brings these things into our life, but He does it for a purpose and for a reason. And this is why it says down in verse 9, He says, Furthermore, we had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? I want you to get that. Submit and live. Reject or fight against and die. What if the baby giraffe just said, no, I'm not getting up. I'm just going to lay here. Okay, you're going to get eaten by a lion. Submit to the Father and live. Which brings me to the last thing I want to share with you today, our response. Our response. What should you do when you experience suffering or pain or calamity or the bad things, whether it's 
coming from the hands of others, whether you think it's the attack of Satan, whatever it is, when God brings these things into our life, how in the world shall we respond? Well, back to verse 7. He says, endure suffering as discipline. Endure. Now, what that means is, first of all, you have to understand that God is a father, that God loves you, that he is working, that he's not finished with you yet. When he gets finished with you, he'll go ahead and take you home. But till he's finished with you, he's working in your life. Endure, he says, which means to trust him. It means to don't let it stop you. Don't get so upset or discouraged or whatever that, well, I'm just not going to go on. I'm going to drop out of the race. Endure suffering, he says. Understand that God is God and he loves me and he's at work in my life. And so I'm going to keep on with him because I can trust him. I don't understand all this. I don't understand why God is bringing all these. But I don't have to understand because he's God and I trust him. Endure suffering as discipline. So again, we're talking about how I think about these things, how I look about these things. I don't quit. I keep getting up. And look what he says down in verse 12 and 13 real quick. And we're going to close with this. I want you to see this. He says, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Now, he actually is quoting a couple of Bible verses that I wanted you to see. Isaiah, first of all, 35, 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, don't fear. Here is your God. And again, notice who's responsible here, where we're going back to. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Carefully consider the path for your feet. And all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or the left. Keep your feet away from evil. So there's your hands and there's your feet. So he says, let's strengthen the weak knees. You know what? If you got weak knees, what you, need, what you ought to do? Get down on them. <laughs> Get down on your knees and pray. You got weak hands? Go to the one who gives strength. I think what he's talking about here is service. You know what happens when we face the calamities or the problems or the difficulties in life? We have a tend to withdraw. And what we're doing is we're rebelling against the activity of God in our life. He says, he says press in. Keep on serving. Keep on going. Let God do his work. Let God do his thing. He is a loving father, and he knows what he's doing, and he will complete it in your life if you let him. I want to share with you something that I learned um, from my brother. And I hate to say this because my, my brother's four years older than me, so he was a lot wiser and a lot more experienced than me, and he was a lot more badder than me. He got a lot more whippings than I did, and he deserved them, every one of them, and then some. And, uh, but one time uh, I had uh, uh, gotten a spanking from my father with the belt. And, and you know what happens? I mean, you know this, you see this. Whenever you get a spanking, right, 
So what dad would do is, you know, he would grab me like this, and then he would, you know, do like this, right? And so here I am. He never laid me across the bed or anything. I was standing there. He was holding on to my arm, and he was whacking me like this with the belt, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, what is instinct? What, is in, what do you do instinctively when that's happening? So dad would be holding me by the arm. In fact, it would be this arm because he'd be coming around this way. He was right-handed. Well, I would pull away from him. I would try to get away from him. And you know what he would do when I would do that? He would grip tighter. He would grip my arm tighter. And he would swing harder. In fact, the further away I got from him, the worse the pain of the belt because it had further to travel, right? And the longer it would take because the matter he'd get that I was trying to pull away from him. So after I was spanked one time by dad, my brother says, you're a dummy. You're an idiot. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, look, Greg, when dad spanks you, when he whips you, don't pull away from him. Press into him. The closer you get to him, the less his grip is going to be. And he's not going to be able to swing as far around, so it's going to hurt less. And he's going to spank you a shorter amount of time. Don't pull away, dummy. Press in. Get close to him. The closer you are to him, the shorter the discipline is going to be and the less it's going to hurt. What should you do when you experience the Lord's discipline? Well, what happens is, is we instinctively want to pull away. Beloved, Press in to God. Press in to God. He is a loving Father. He loves you. He knows what He's doing. And you can trust Him. And when you experience the calamities, the, the, um, uh, the, the bad things in life, where it comes from somebody else, the devil, whatever, you can blame whoever you want to. But understand that God is a loving Father. He knows what He's doing. You can trust Him. Press in. Press in. And you're going to find your loving Father is going to be able to complete in you in a lot shorter time (laughs) what He wants than anything else. You know that God loves you so much that He took you exactly the way you are, but He loves you so much that He won't leave you that way anyway. Uh, He won't leave you that way, and this is why the Lord disciplines those He loves. So what are you going to do when you face the Lord's discipline? What will you do? And I'll say it again. I know this is a difficult um, topic because some of us, we don't like to think of God in this way, that he would bring something negative into my life. Why not? Because it really is all about me, and I'm supposed to be happy. And if I'm not happy, God's the one that better make me happy. And if he don't get me happy right now, then something's the matter with God, right? Isn't that human nature? Isn't that the way we think? I mean, we live in a country in which life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what it's all about. It's all about me, and it's all about my happiness. And here the preacher is telling me that God brings negative things. He brings suffering. He brings pain into my life. That can't be true because I'm not happy when I'm painful. Beloved, God never said, I'm going to make you happy. He said, I'm going to make you holy. 
He said, I'm going to make you holy. He's a loving father. And he knows what he's doing. And I'll tell you, I mean, this takes a mature faith to receive this. And some of us can't. I understand that. We're not going to believe this. We're not going to like it. We're not going to take it. But he is a loving father, and you can trust him. And whatever he does is going to be right and true in your life. And you know what I've discovered For those people that have really suffered, the more you suffer, the more you appreciate this. That you understand that that there is a purpose and plan in what God is doing. You know, if you haven't suffered much, and let let me just talk to the young people here for just a second. Because if you don't have many years on you, then you haven't really experienced a whole lot of stuff. You're gonna you're going to experience some things. And you're gonna come to appreciate a father who loves you. And who loves you enough to discipline and to bring discipline into your life. Beloved, what are you going to do when you face that discipline of God? Press in, press in, press in. Father, I want to ask you today in the name of Jesus that as you show yourself mighty in this place and in our lives, in our hearts, God, as, as you reveal your glory, as, as we, Lord, just chew on the word today. I pray, God, that you would show us who you are and what you are. And God, would you strengthen our faith in this, that we might know you, and God, that we might truly be able to come to you and respond by faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together, and I want you to know the invitation today is just to say yes to Jesus, to respond to him. He is the great physician. He loves you. He's not just an emergency room doctor, he's a surgeon.